You're listening to Comedy Central. August 6, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. She's a breakout star from the Democratic presidential debates. Marion Williamson is joining us, everybody. Also on tonight's show, guns are back in the news. The new hot vacation trend, and do you like corn? Doesn't matter, you're gonna be eating a lot more of it. So let's catch up on today's headlines. War. Hmm. Good God, (laughs) y'all. What is it good for? Well, according to China, hitting back at the U.S. We begin with the escalating trade war with China and the growing concern about its effect on the U.S. economy. The United States is officially labeling China a currency manipulator, accusing the nation of deliberately lowering the value of its money to sell goods cheaper and gain a competitive advantage. China also delivering a blow to U.S. farmers, announcing it has asked state-owned firms to stop buying U.S. agricultural products. Wall Street is not happy with this trade war. The Dow plunged more than 750 points Monday, its worst day of the year. Yes, the trade war between America and China has escalated bigly. And this thing is no joke. It's tanking the markets, it's straining diplomatic relations, and in fact, yesterday when I opened a fortune cookie, it just read, sup, bitch. (laughs) Here's your lucky numbers. (laughs) Now, one of the bigger issues for the United States is that if China stops buying American farm products, the American farming industry is going to crash, all right? And they've already planted the crops, so they're gonna need to figure out what to do with them. You know, I mean, getting rid of corn, that part's gonna be easy because every Democrat running for president eats two ears of corn at the Iowa State Fair. And if my calculations are correct, that's about 10 million. How many people are running? That's 10 million, right? It works out, it works out. (laughs) The other vegetables are gonna be harder. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I think we might need Oprah back. Yeah, she can move some products. Just have her come out like, you know what my favorite thing is? Soybeans! (laughs) And everyone will be like, I love soybeans. (laughs) So as it stands, it doesn't look like the US and China are any closer to stopping their trade war. And those aren't the only countries with beef right now. Tensions between India and Pakistan are only getting worse after India removed Kashmir's autonomous governing status. And South Korea and Japan are on high alert after the world's most dangerous Teletubby launched some missiles (laughs) into the sea. Which is not just bad for diplomacy, it's also bad for the environment, Kim Jong-un. We're trying to pull plastic out of the ocean. This asshole is throwing entire missiles in. (laughs) And if all the constant bad news popping up on your phone is proving too much, well, maybe you need a vacation to unplug. And I mean rarely unplug. We're gonna move on now to a popular vacation trend, getting off the grid. More people are searching for chips that help them get away from it all and disconnect. No cell service and no Wi-Fi is starting to mean no vacancy. With a 300-person waiting list, this converted fire tower in rural Oregon costs $200 a night or $2,000 a night in Alaska to really, really shut it all out. Crazy, but necessary. Near me, the Tree Bones Resort in Northern California offers $300 a night yurts and, of course, 
a human-sized bird's nest and the fact that there's no cell service or Wi-Fi for guests. Okay, okay, you know what? That seems like a good idea. Unplug your phone and go to a place with no cell service. But let me tell you something now. When that giant bird comes back to its nest, <laughs> good luck calling for help. <laughs> also, can we admit that these results are just rebranding how bad they are? Just like, yeah, we don't have Wi-Fi. It's a special feature. <laughs> Every shitty resort should do this. Do you love hot yoga? Well, great news. Our air conditioner has been broken for eight months. <laughs> and finally, while some people are trying to find ways to get off their devices, there's a new generation of parents using technology to help raise their kids. Struggling to get your kids to help around the house? No, your, your kids always help around the house. Listen, you know that. Well, there is now an app for that. It's called Chores, C-H-O-R-E-Z. It was designed by a couple in North Carolina. They say you can customize your own list of chores with the amount you pay each kid. You gotta pay them to do their chores? Uh, not at my house. Yeah, I was gonna say, huh? You can continue to live here. I never got Go paid. Ahead. Okay, this is an interesting idea. Parents can use an app to tell their kids what chores need to be done. And then they just send their parent a picture to show them that it's done. Yeah. Unfortunately, kids know how to use technology better than their parents. <laughs> so they're just gonna Photoshop a clean room and get paid. <laughs> also, having kids who don't want to do their chores is such a first-world problem, right? Because in Africa, we already have an app for this. It's called whipping their ass. <laughs> no internet connection required. <laughs> but also, at the same time, <laughs> parents. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I said it. I said it. I don't like this idea of parents. Like, they give birth to us, and then all of a sudden, we have to clean their house? Huh? What is it? I didn't apply for this job. You made me. Now I'm washing the dishes. It's essentially a very personal form of slavery. That's what it is. Because think about it. Imagine if you just took a random person off the street and treated them like a kid. Clean my house. It's like, I don't want to leave. You aren't going anywhere, young man. You'd be, you'd be guilty of, like, six felonies. And what, you know what makes it worse? Is that parents trick you. Huh? They spend the first six years of your life treating you like royalty. Oh, my little princess. Oh, my little prince. Then you hit seven, and all of a sudden, it's like, go mow the lawn. <laughs> it's like, what happened to princess? It's like a reverse Cinderella. <laughs> I'm sorry, this touches me because as a kid, I had to do everything. Chores were everything for me, including laundry without a washing machine. <laughs> I spent half my childhood as an appliance. <laughs> my closest friend was a toaster oven. He never got out. You know what the worst part was when your parents would just make you clean up the yard? How do you clean up outside? <laughs> there's always gonna be dirt on the dirt. Oh, there's leaves. Cause there's trees, you asshole. <laughs> kids don't need an allowance, they need reparations. Okay, now that I've won the Kids' Choice Awards, let's move on to our main story. <laughs> Let's get into something a little more serious. Since the two mass shootings over the weekend in El Paso and Dayton, the conversation around sensible gun regulation in America has been reignited. Because let's be honest, having two shootings back to back makes the conversation unavoidable. It's the same way for getting your kid once at home means you're an unlucky mom, but if you do the same thing twice, social workers are coming in. <laughs> and this weekend's tragedies seem to have motivated lawmakers in DC. Some Republicans are proposing new red flag laws to take guns from people who show signs of threatening behavior, while many Democrats are focusing on things like universal background checks, renewing the assault weapons ban, and getting high-capacity magazines banned, which makes perfect sense. 
I mean, the mass shooter in Dayton had a gun that could fire 100 bullets before he needed to reload, which is insane. I don't care what anybody says. And I know some people will be like, we need guns to hunt. Yeah, but if you need 100 bullets to kill a deer, maybe you should try fishing. (laughs) And while most legislators are trying to figure out which laws will curb future mass shootings, Fox News has chosen to spend most of their time telling people that shootings have nothing to do with guns. Starting with Mike Huckabee, who thinks we shouldn't have fewer guns, we should just have more God. It's our cultural fault, and part of what we've done, we've created a culture in which we've said, there is no God. The common denominator in all of this is not the particular weapon. It's the hate inside the heart. It's the loss of morality. It's that disconnecting from a God who values all people and who would never let me do that to another person. That's just not how we're hardwired uh, from the Father above. Yes, according to Huckabee and many people on the right, the real problem in America is not access to guns. It's a lack of access to God. So if people were more religious, then they wouldn't do bad things. My only problem with this argument, the whole God argument, is that everyone seems to have a different idea of what God is saying, right? He says, like, God and evil will never mix. If you have God in your heart, you're a good person. But think about it, in the Middle Ages, the Crusaders said God told them to kill people in the Middle East. Hell, in the 1960s in America, white evangelicals said God told them black and white people shouldn't mix. So either people pick and choose when and how to use God, or maybe God's just so far away, he's hard to hear, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's the distance. He's up there like, love thy neighbor. And people are like, what? Black people should be slaves? <laughs> like, I, I honestly don't know where Huckabee's getting this from because even in the Bible, even in the Bible, people who are close to God still do really bad things, right? Like there's the story of King David. He literally walked with God all the time. Like they hung out together. But that didn't stop David from killing a guy just so that he could sleep with his wife. That's in the Bible, by the way. David loved God but he loved ass just a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. Look at him in that painting. Look at him in that painting. He's going, oh, gotta get that ass. (laughs) Look at that face. David's nasty. (laughs) So that's Huckabee. Leave guns alone and get it to God. Now, if if you don't think religion is gonna solve America's mass shootings, luckily the Presidential Advisory Network has another solution. Instead of fewer guns, they just say we need more parents. These young men have no father, no father at home. So you have to go back to some of the the institutions and ask yourself, what's different about America now? Nobody really believes this is about Donald Trump or assault weapons. If only, young men are the problem. No communities, no fathers, no mentors, no initiations into personal responsibility. What happens when boys are dad deprived is they don't have a male role model to channel their testosterone constructively. (laughs) Why does that guy sound so creepy when he's saying that? Okay, now, to be honest, I I don't think this is the worst argument in the world, right? It does help young men to have a stable family life. But it's also hard to have a stable family life if your dad is getting gunned down at a Walmart. Like, I would love for every young man in America to magically have a perfect upbringing that helps get rid of their rage. But I have no idea how you're gonna achieve that, right? Because you can write laws that'll regulate guns. You can't write laws forcing people to have a good family life. What, is it just gonna be like a dad at the door, like kids, daddy's decided to run away with his secretaries. Like, actually dad, the law says you have to stay. (laughs) Oh, damn you, Congress. All right, let's go and play some catch. (laughs) 
But as usual, the best worst ideas on Fox can all be found in one place. Sean Hannity, primetime Fox News host <laughs> and neck with hair. You see, <laughs> according to him, America's problem isn't too many guns, it's not enough guns. I have been calling for a long time. Every school, secure the uh, perimeter of those schools. Equip, equip them with retired police and military. I want guys to donate 15 hours. I think we could cover every school, every hour, every day, add a metal detector, and I think we're gonna have safer schools. Have one armed guard on every floor of every school, all over every mall, the perimeter, and inside every hall of every mall. Now, that gives us an instant response opportunity that we normally wouldn't have. Every hall of every mall? <laughs> that sounds like the bleakest Dr. Seuss book ever. <laughs> in every hall of every mall. On every floor, in every door. We need a guard in every room, or we'll end up in the tomb. Good night, pumpkin. Mwah. Good night, Daddy. I'm glad the law made you stay. <laughs> Look, man, this isn't a new idea. After every mass shooting, Hannity and many other people say that having more armed guards everywhere is the only way to stop these shootings. What they seem to forget is that guns are everywhere in America. Parkland had an armed guard, but he was afraid to go in. The country music festival in Vegas had armed guards, but the guy was shooting from the window of a hotel. And as for instant response, the police in Dayton, Ohio, responded to that mass shooting in 30 seconds, less than 30 seconds, in fact. Think about that. That is an amazing job by those police. They could not have done a better job, and still nine people were killed in 30 seconds. So, like, I, I don't think people think about this the, the, the right way. Like, like, Hannity mentions schools and malls, but as, we, as we've seen, mass shootings can happen anywhere. So you're gonna put an armed guard in every Walmart, every movie theater, every synagogue, every mosque, every church, every office building, every bar, every nightclub, every concert, every garlic festival, huh? <laughs> To have enough police for that, you realize we'd all have to become police. Yeah, and I don't want to be a policeman. I don't. I'm mixed. It's confusing. The... <laughs> yeah. the white half of me would always be putting the black half of me over. I'd never get anywhere. <laughs> and for me, the strangest part of this argument, honestly, is this. Hannity and Fox News talk every day about protecting American freedoms. But if everyone in America is forced to live in a world of perimeter fences, metal detectors, and armed guards in every hall, then it starts to feel like society is living in a prison and the only thing that's free is the gun. We'll be right back. Selling author and activist who is running for president of the United States. Please welcome Marion Williamson. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on, especially considering your journey in this race. When your name was first announced, uh, it was Oprah's spiritual advisor. And I remember being <clears> like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, and then, you know, when the debates came around, you're standing on the stage and you are a spiritual person. You are somebody who speaks, you know, in larger ideas than just what is happening. It seemed like you were out of your depth. After the second debates, though, 
you were the most Googled name in, I think, 49 states, and all of a sudden, people went from Marion Williamson the joke to, oh, maybe, uh, she says a few things we like. Maybe she's got a plan. Why do you think you're connecting with so many people who first thought that you were a joke? Well, first of all, even if you look at the first debate, the substance of my words were as serious as any substance on that debate stage. It was the way I delivered my words. It was a little funny in a couple of places. But the things <laughs> I actually talked about were as substantial as what I talked about right. this time. I'm not saying anything everybody I know isn't saying. People have a deeper conversation than the establishment conventional political uh, dialogue presents. And so I'm simply talking about things the way I believe people talk these right. days. People understand that more is going on than just externalities. And people understand that if you want to transform your life, you're going to have to address things on a deeper level than just the fixes on the outside. You, you, you do speak about levels consistently, <coughs> uh, levels or, 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 or higher powers. For instance, that's what you said in one of the debates. You said, this needs help from a higher power. Now, when I heard that, I was like, but you're running for president of the United States. So... Is that the second highest power? What is... And this is a genuine question. I want to know, like, what, what do you believe that means? Well, it's interesting because Abraham Lincoln spoke that way. And this is... We're living in an aberrational time that the left has become so over-secularized in its conversation. When I was growing up, people like Martin Luther King, people like Bobby Kennedy... Bobby Kennedy talked about the soul of America and a contest for the soul of America. Right. It's only been in the last few decades that the left has become so over-secularized in its language. Traditionally... On the right, there has been a focus on issues of private morality. Right. But traditionally, on the left, there was a focus on issues of public morality. War and peace is a moral issue. The t our t how we tax the rich and make it so much easier for rich people to make, get richer and harder for everybody else to even make it, that's a moral issue. The fact that we have millions of American children who go to school every day chronically traumatized in schools that don't even have the adequate school supplies with which to teach a child to read. And if that child cannot re learn to read by the age of eight, the chances of high school graduation are drastically diminished and the chances of incarceration are drastically increased in the richest country in the world. That's a moral issue. Mm -hmm. The fact that we have 13 million children who are hungry in America is a moral issue. So to me, issues of politics should, should take as much moral consideration and reflection as anything else. And the fact that we have a society where we have made economic principles, not an economic principle that has led us to anything other than the largest wealth inequality in, in almost 100 years, 1% of Americans owning more wealth than the bottom 90%, 40% of all Americans struggling on a daily basis. What are we doing? It's interesting what that you... What are we doing? Right, but you, you have the numbers, clearly. And it feels like you have intentionally geared your message towards larger issues and, and, and a larger idea. I think in one of the first debates you even said, you specifically said, it's one thing to go into the nitty-gritty, but we're not speaking to the larger issues. Donald Trump didn't win by talking about the nitty-gritty. He spoke about the idea of America. Is that what you think <clears throat> people need to hear? Is, is the idea of America versus just the numbers? It's the idea of leadership. It's what I believe we need in a president. Franklin Roosevelt said that these, uh, the administrative aspect of the presidency, he said, is secondary. He said the primary role of the presidency is moral leadership. It's not what I believe people need to hear, but it's the conversation I believe we need to have in order to navigate the times in which we live. Right. Do you think, then, Donald Trump has as much responsibility as a leader 
to be morally responsible as, as he is in, in what he's doing. Because people, many people <coughs> on the right will say, well, look, I mean, he says some things and you know, yeah, I wish he wouldn't tweet and I wish he wouldn't say that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he's getting results. But do you think America should just be results driven or do you think there's another aspect of being president? Well, first of all, look at the results. I don't know what television shows they're watching. I don't know what newspapers they're reading. This is an administration that has gutted the Clean Air Act. It's gutted the Clean Water Act. It has given permission for chemical companies to sell pesticides that we know are harmful to a child's health. Mm -hmm. This is a, 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 an administration that for the sake of $350 billion in arms sales to, Sa to Saudi Arabia is willing to give aerial support to an air genocidal war where tens of thousands of people have died of starvation, many of which are children, in a way that would make our grandparents roll over in their graves. These are the results. So when people say he's gotten results, yeah, he's gotten results so that a few of his friends can get even richer. These are the results that we want? This let, me, is let me ask you this then, let me ask you this. If I were to agree with you on that point and say, okay, you're right. These are moral arguments that people should be having. We've seen that Donald Trump is willing and able to find people to write laws that will support how he feels. That is correct. So what laws would you then come in with on day one? What laws would you try and enact that would, comp you know what I mean, that would complement how you feel? Because we know how you feel about the issues, okay. but what laws do you think, concrete laws need to well, match that feeling? Absolutely, bad laws got us here, good laws will get us out of here. Right. First of all, we need to pass a, a law and not only legislation, but probably also constitutional amendment for public funding of federal campaigns. Because right now, we have a... <clears throat> because the undue influence of money, particularly corporate money, on our governmental policy is the cancer underlying all these other cancers. So that's number one. That's what we've got to deal mm -hmm. with. Then. We need a massive infusion of economic hope and opportunity into the life of the average American. We're going to get there by repealing the 2017 tax cut, $2 trillion tax cut that gave 83 cents of every dollar to the very richest individuals and corporations. You put back in the middle class tax cut. Notice that that's not an economic stimulus, that bill. Then you close those subsidies, you stop those subsidies like why did we pay $26 billion to the fossil fuel companies alone last year in subsidies? Martin Luther King said, if they give it to rich people, they call it a subsidy. If they give it to poor people, they call it a handout. Then you realize that our government actually advocated and, and passed a law against the interests of the American people, making it, because of all the lobbying done by Big Pharma, that the United States government cannot cannot actually negotiate for drug prices with big pharmaceutical companies. Then I agree with Senator Warren that we should have a 3% tax on billionaires. We have a 2%, we should have a 2% tax on people $50 million and more. You do all that stuff, Trevor, we've got some cash on hand. And then oh. we start doing what we should be doing. We take care of the <laughs> about your chakra, but I know the numbers are lining up. We'll have more with Marion Williamson when we come back. <laughs> We're joined by Democratic presidential candidate Marion Williamson. At the debates, one of your lines has become iconic, and that is, uh, we are not dealing with a healthcare system, we are dealing with a sick care system. What does that mean? 
What it means is that the conversation we're having is how to treat people once they're sick. We also have to talk about why there's so much more chronic disease in America. And why is that? Well, because of our chemical policies, our agricultural policies, our food policies, our, our environmental policies, and even our economic policies, given that our economic policies cause so much economic stress and anxiety on a daily basis. And stress causes illness. But so many times we're not talking about those things because in order to talk about those things, right. we'd have to talk about policies with chemical companies and agricultural companies and oil and gas and so forth. You, you, you seem to be somebody who is constantly trying to find the balance between the spiritual and the physical, you know, the, the, the ideas of, of what we do in the world and then what we feel and what is changing who we are as human beings. You have come under fire, though, for some of those views and how they've come across. For instance, people have said, Marion Williamson is against vaccines because I think at one point you, you compared forcing people to get vaccines to, to Orwellian or draconian ideas. I, what are your views on vaccines? Well, I've never said anything bad about vaccines. I am pro-vaccines. Infectious disease is a very serious issue. And any time that there is a medical intervention, there's both benefit and risk. And the government must always come down on the side of the public good. There has been a conversation over the last few years about mandatories and about exemptions, religious exemptions, personal exemptions. Right. And when I made the comment that sounds Orwellian or draconian, I shouldn't have said that, and I'm sorry about saying that. It was a glib way to talk about that conversation. But I think with all of these things, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not anti-vax. I'm, I'm, I'm the last, I'm the least anti-science person. I'm the least anti-medicine person you'll ever meet. I've never told anyone to get off their meds. I've never told anyone not to take medication. Right, um, people, people said that uh, specifically <clears throat> in and around, for instance, depression. Yeah. People, you know, you've spoken at length about how you feel people should be dealing with depression. And some people felt like you were saying you know, um, get off your meds. You don't need them if you are depressed well, as a no person. no one felt that who read what I said. That's the problem people, we have today. People don't read, though. People don't read, but I, I, found it, <laughs> I, I found it very disappointing, even on the left, given that I am a progressive, that so much has been, that has been repeated about me related to those things come from websites, tweets that are no different than the, than, than the Inquirer. Right. And I think that, you know, I think when you're running for office, if people disagree with you, that's democracy. But when people disagree with you based on a false picture of you, a mischaracterization right. of you, that's damaging to our democracy. So what do you think people who struggle with depression <clears throat> should do? Well, I think the issue is what's depression. There is uh, deep depression. First of all, I have never... Um, psychotherapeutic drugs clearly have a, have a, a place in some people's lives. Mm -hmm. And I've never had any... and never wandered into a lane having to do with serious mental illness. Right. What I'm talking about is a spectrum of normal human despair. And with that spectrum of normal human despair, I have 35 years of experience working very up close and personal with people within that spectrum of normal human despair. People who have been divorced, whose lovers left, their spouse left, someone they loved died, uh, they had a professional failure, uh, they went bankrupt, their child is on drugs. There are all kinds of serious stresses in people's lives that are not a mental illness. So you feel that the U.S. overprescribes? Do you think that's I, what it is? It, you know, there's this... People talk these days, mental health experts. There are as many mental health experts who are sounding the cry with a concern about the overprescription of antidepressants That's now true. as there are talking about the underprescription. And excuse me, but what are we... We are now living at a time where attorney generals all over this country, so I think something like 47 states, are now indicting pharmaceutical executives for their known role 
in the opioid crisis. So clearly the government somewhere along the line, the fact that we now know that these pharmaceutical executives overprescribed, overmanufactured, and overmarketed painkillers. It's not that painkillers don't have a place. Painkillers certainly have a place. Right. But we know that the greed led to predatory practices on big pharma. Clearly, the government, somebody wasn't regulating correctly. All I'm saying is that on everything, we should uh, should know that the American people should feel safe. Clearly. The FAA was too cozy with uh, with Boeing, Boeing, or we wouldn't have the Boeing Maxes actors. Clearly, the EPA is 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 too cozy with Dow Chemical, or we wouldn't be selling these pesticides that we know harm a developing child's brain. And clearly, the FDA has been too close with Big Pharma in the fact that we have this opioid crisis. This is not dangerous to discuss. People are saying I'm crazy and dangerous. I think what's dangerous and a little bit crazy is that we're not discussing it. And the fact <laughs> let's let's discuss let's discuss then one of the bigger issues that has really resonated with many people from the debates, and that is the issue in and around reparations. Yes. Where Marion Williamson at one point in the debate seemed like you were talking about, you know, feelings and, and our stresses as human beings and how to evolve and how to find that center. When it came to reparations, you came with the numbers. You were like, here's what black people are owed, here's how much they're owed, here's how much <coughs> black people should be paid by America. This is not a favor, this is repaying a debt. Why have you been so adamant about this issue? Because you've been in it from the beginning. This has been one of your core issues. Why? I've been talking about this since my book, Healing the Soul of America, came out in 1997. When you said earlier, I seem to be balancing spiritual and material, it's not about balancing, it's about applying the spiritual to the material. Hmm. It's about applying spiritual principle in a practical way. One of those spiritual principles is, you can't have the future you want if you're not willing to clean up the past. Now, when Catholics go to confession, or when Jews on the holiest day of the year, the day of Yom Kippur, the day uh, the Jew confesses the sin, has a day of atonement. In Alcoholics Anonymous, you're told that you have to take a fearless moral inventory and admit the exact nature of your character defects. This is as true of a nation as it is of an individual because all that a nation is is a group of people. So the same psychological and emotional processes are at play. America will not have the future that we want if we're not willing to clean up this original character defect of racism. Now, I do not believe, it's not my belief or my experience that the average American is a racist. It's not. But I do think that the average American is woefully undereducated about the history of race in the United States. So I find... <laughs> So I find, and I find this in the whitest states in America, that when you actually, I become a little American history teacher for a few minutes, and I talk about the fact that the first slaves were brought over in six, enslaved persons, uh, brought over in 1619, mm -hmm. uh, slavery not abolished till 1865, that's 250 years, followed by another 100 years of institutionalized violence against black people, that's 350 years of institutionalized violence. That's longer than this country has been in existence. I tell people about Tecumseh Sherman at the end of the Civil War, promising to every former slave family of four, 40 acres and a mule. Because think about it, you've been a slave and now you're free, but as Martin Luther King said 100 years later, they were freed, but what were they freed to? 
So I'm not minimizing the, the sacrifices or struggles or successes of any of our ancestors, black or white, but the issue of economic restitution, that gap that existed at the end of the Civil War has simply not been addressed. It has not been achieved, and it's time. So Germany has given $89 billion in reparations to Jewish organizations since the end of World War II. Doesn't mean the Holocaust didn't happen. But those reparations have gone far towards establishing reconciliation between Germany and the Jews of Europe. And in 1988, Ronald Reagan signed the American Civil Liberties Act, where we gave to every uh, surviving prisoner of the Japanese internment camps in World War II between 20 and $22,000. So the idea of a people that has wronged another people giving financial restitution in acknowledgement of that wrong, in acknowledgement of a debt to be paid and a willingness to pay it is not a fringe idea and should not be treated as such. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. You sound a lot more sane when you have more than a minute to speak. <laughs> Marion Williamson, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.